And we confess, Lord, that apart from your mercy to us, we will be utterly without hope in this world. But, Lord, the great thing is that when we were lost, you found us, you called us, and drew us to Christ. You brought us up out of the harbor pit and out of the miry clay and set our feet, upon our, our rock, set our feet rather upon a rock and established our goings. So, Lord, I ask you this morning to spiritually awaken us, spiritually awaken our church family. Help us, Lord, to realize and bear in mind that our final salvation, the eternal glory of heaven, is nearer to us than when we believed. Lord, the day will soon draw near when we enter the glory of your presence. Lord, until that day, while we remain in this sinful world, before Jesus Christ returns, Lord, we ask you, we yearn to live in holy and not sinful ways. Lord, empower us into holiness as we seek to walk in a way that is consistent with your wonderful love and your perfect righteousness. Lord, give us humility to know that no matter how we resolve to live to your honor, that we have no strength of our own to accomplish that end. That, Lord, we only have your strength to rely on and to trust in. So, Lord, we walk by faith from day to day, depending on our Heavenly Father to meet our needs. Lord, grant us more faith, the faith that overcomes the world. Lord, it is our uh, blessed privilege as your children to come boldly to the throne of grace again and again as I am doing this morning. Where we always receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Lord, when I pray this, I think about members in our church who need your help. Members in our, in our church who need encouragement in the spirit. Perhaps all of us do, Lord, for different reasons. I know specifically we have Brother Harvey and Mr. Lois who need your help in healing as they continue to recover from different sicknesses that they've encountered. Lord, that you bring them strength from the spirit, that you encourage them in spirit. Lord, we thank you and praise you for their faithfulness to your church, their desire to be among the saints, their desire to, to still give to the church and still serve in the church. Father, we thank you for that grace. Lord, continue to touch their bodies, continue to touch their minds, continue to conform and transform their hearts in their lives into lives that bring you glory even in the midst of their sickness Lord it is our blessed privilege as your children to be able to come to you and present these needs to you Lord we pray for anyone else in here who is encountering sicknesses uh, heal friends uh, neck uh, brother Daryl sister Mary Miss Phyllis as they work hard jobs, Lord, and difficult, thankless tasks on their jobs, Lord, that you bless them and be with them. Encourage them in the spirit. Melissa is a single mom. Lord, that you strengthen her. Encourage her, Lord, to continue to disciple her two boys, that her labor is not in vain in you. And, Lord, help her to win the battlefield of her mind and continue to grow her in grace. We pray for RJ as he gets close to the day of college graduation, Lord, that he continues to persevere in his work, persevere in his schoolwork, persevere in his practicing, his performances, and all other things, Lord, that you strengthen him as he gets closer to that day where he gets to graduate from college. Lord, just remember all of us this morning for various reasons. Lord, we thank you that Christ paid an infinite price to cover our sins. Lord, we thank you for the great love that you bestowed upon us. Even as we struggle in this world to live the life that you have called us to, Lord, you don't leave us without hope 
and Lord, you don't leave us, leave us without help. Lord, we come to worship you as those who live by your love. And Lord, we come to worship you along with other saints, other Christians from around the world, other churches. And we pray, Lord, for other churches that are preaching the gospel, that are exegeting the text, that are expositing the text, that are preaching, preaching true sermons who are not fleecing the flock of God. Lord, I pray for all these brothers that you bless them as they lead their churches. Brother Steve Mays, Brother Gobbler and Josephus, Brother Sylvester, Lord Brother Josh Henderson, Brother Bob, Phil, Carlton, Anthony, Brother Curly. Lord bless all these men, Brother Mark and Brother James. Lord bless all these brothers to preach and shepherd their flocks well, to be sound in how they lead their churches. And Lord, may you receive glory through all of our preaching this morning. And Lord, we pray for illumination. Lord, we often value other things. We need to look at heaven. As the scripture was said last week, setting our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Lord, we need to look to our risen Savior. Look at him. He's risen and exalted. Lord, we need to look at your glory. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to see the value and the treasure that you are. Lord, I pray that we would lose our enamoring with this world and the way that we are so caught up in the things here. Lord, give us heavenly minds as we consider heavenly things. Lord, teach us this morning. I pray that you would rebuke the evil one, that you would not distract us, that he would not rather distract us, but that our minds might hear your truth with focused minds and hearts. Lord, help us to hear your word as it is in authority and not the word of the preacher. Help us, Lord, to welcome it as such as we humble ourselves before you. So, Lord, this morning, instruct us, instruct me. We pray for your illumination in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen again. Men, let us turn to Colossians, the third chapter. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at, I think, today, verses five through eight in this whole section. Last week, we looked at verses one through four. This week, we're going to continue looking at this uh, passage. Last week, we talked about an, an exhortation towards Christ-centeredness. We're going to continue this week with implications of the supremacy of Christ and what that means for Christian living. So the sermon text is going to be, I think, verses 5 through 8 or perhaps 5 through 11. We will see how far... Uh, we get in this uh, text but our main focus is going to be uh, verses 5 through 8 so let's look at our text here this morning we'll begin at verse 1 of course to get the context of everything Paul says if then you were raised with Christ. Seek, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Excuse me. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, so, since we died, since our life is hidden with Christ in God, since we will appear with him in glory, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves also once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So as we get into our principles, we're going to look at the last, uh, I know the next two, because of Christ's death, we have to put to death sinful desires. That will be our main thrust this morning. But Paul here uses the word therefore again in verse 5. And this is the beginning of what we talked about last week. First Paul talked about seeking things that are above in verses 1 through 4. And then he begins to define exactly how to seek those things above. So these are what we call implications. So as we seek those things above, we put things to death on this earth. Because that's what verse 5 says here. It says, therefore, put to death your members which are what? On the earth. So as we seek those things above, as we seek Christ-like things, those things of Christ. That's why our topic is implications of Christ's supremacy, because when we hold Christ supreme, when we seek the things of Christ, when we seek Christ's way, when we seek Christ's glory, guess what? It's going to have an impact on our lives on this earth. You know, some people say, oh, you can't be so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. That's a false statement to make because we have to be spiritually minded or heavenly minded. Really, they say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But you have to be heavenly minded. The Bible says what? Seek those things that are above. That's the heavenly minded. And the earthly good is putting things to death, putting sin to death. So the more we seek Christ, the more we pursue Christ's glory and not our own, the more we are going to have a desire to put our sin to death, put to death sinful desires. So Paul uses here imperative verbs. In verse 5, he says, put to death. And then in verse 8, he says, put away. That's an imperative. An imperative is a command. It is, it is something that you are uh, told to do. It is not a mere suggestion. We are to put those things to death. It is, it is active. We are to be active in doing this. We put those things to death. So Paul is telling the Colossians to put to death, what to put to death and what to put away. The first set in verse 5 describes sinful desires. And the second set describes sinful actions. And so sin always begins with a desire. And then it turns into an action. Think about this, people. Desires can be sinful. Jesus said in Matthew, the fifth chapter, about adultery. You know, many people think adultery is just the physical act. But you can commit adultery by having a desire to be with someone who's not your husband or wife. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, if any man looks upon a woman and lusts after her, desires after her, he has already committed adultery in his heart because that desire is sinful. If I look at another woman who's not my wife and desire to be with her, I've committed adultery in my heart. So our desires can be sinful. You know, so some people say, oh, it's okay as long as you don't act on it. No, it's not. You have people who are saying this about, uh, there's a debate, I'm sure you all are not aware, but I am. There's a debate in about uh, gay Christianity. That homosexuals can be Christians. You can be Christian and be a, a homosexual. And as long as you're not a sodomite, sodomite means you're actually doing the act. You know, it's called sodomy. That's what it's called biblically. But as long as you're not acting out it, then it's okay. You can have the desire to be with someone of the same sex, but as long as you don't act on it, it's okay. You have that talk in some circles of Christianity about gay Christianity, but there's no such thing. That's an oxymoron. The desire itself is sinful because it's unnatural. That's like saying, okay, I have a desire to molest little children, but as long as I don't act on it, it's okay. If someone told me that, I wouldn't dare let them my children. Because we know there's something that's inordinate, something that's unnatural about that desire. Desires can be sinful. You can sin in, 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 in your desires, those, those secret sins that, that you don't act out on. And so Paul here in verse 5 talks about these types of desires that can be sinful. So looking at our first principle, because of Christ's work, we are to put to death sinful desires. We are to put to death. We are to, to, to put to death means to mortify. It means to mortify some. In fact, some of the older translations like the, uh, I think the King James Version may say mortify. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. I think that's what it says, something uh, like that. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. So we are to put to death the things that are against God and part of this world. All these sinful desires are against God. They are against scripture. They are against what God stands for, what God desires of us as believers. They are all against God. That's why you can't keep your sin if you want to. It's not okay to keep your sinful desires. So Paul says here, put to death your members. Or to make dead. Now the Greek word for put to death is necrosite which means to make dead that's where we get the word necro from necromancing uh, communicating with the dead that, that, that necro word any root word means dead or death so put to death means literally to make dead so it suggests that we are not simply to suppress or control evil acts and desires. We are to wipe them out completely. We are to exterminate them. You know what I mean? Just kind of let them linger around. When we have all of us are beset by certain. Besetting. I'm just, uh, all of us struggle with besetting sins. You know what I mean? Just habitual but. Man, that same sin that you just find yourself committing. And you hate it so much, but you still find yourself doing it. And you pray, Lord, take this sin away. Lord, put this sin to death. Because you hate that sin so much. That is a prayer that we must keep praying about those sins. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to put this sin to death. Help me. Help me in my struggle against this sin. I say it all the time. Believers struggle against sin believers don't live in sin 
a man or a woman who professes or claims to be a Christian, if they're dating someone, they won't just move in with them and have no guilt of conscience about it. If so, they're not a true believer because a true believer does not live in habitual unrepentant sin. They would rather do what? Flee it. The Bible tells us to flee sexual immorality. We have to flee it. We're not to live in it and get comfortable with it and rationalize it like the world does and say, oh, I need to, I need to know how they ought to live with before we get married. And this is for believers now, people who profess Christ. I'm not unbelievers. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. The world is going to world. But as Christians, we have a higher standard. In which to live by. Would you say that about a person who's committing adultery? Well, it's, I mean, you know, you're just trying to see how it is to be with somebody else other than your wife. You wouldn't say that. You would say, stop doing what? Cheating on your wife. Stop cheating on your husband. So why do you tell the person who is shacking up that it's okay? That you, I see nothing wrong with it. I understand. I know, you know, you all are about to get married or so forth and so on. That still does not make it right. It's still a sin. And if a person is not seeking the Lord, Lord, take this desire away from me to commit the sin of fornication. We are supposed to put to death sin. And that's what Paul said. Because of what Christ has done. Because he's seated at the right hand of God. Because our life is hidden in him. Because we will appear with him in glory. Put to death sin. Not live in it. Not enjoy it. Not rationalize it. Not explain it away. Not seek sympathy or empathy or compassion for our pet sin. No. Christians, we ought to put sin to death. Lord, help me get on our knees fast, everything. And so this is how it looks for us as believers. I talked last week about uh, carnal Christianity. Those who are professed believers, they ignore sin and they excuse it. But true Biblical Christianity never settles for or never settles with a life of sin. We never settle as Christians. We don't just say, oh, well, I might as well do it anyway. No, we don't settle for a life of sin, no matter how long it is. It could be for a month. It could be for a year. We don't settle for sin as believers. John Owen said this. In his book about the mortification of sin. I have that book in my library. Remember mortify means to put to death. This is what John Owen uh, says. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. This is one of his famous quotes. Added on to this one. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Either we kill sin or sin will kill us. And we will die a thousand deaths if we don't kill sin. John Owen says we should be at it every day. Lord, help me to put my besetting sins to death. Because if not, guess what? It's going to it's going to kill us spiritually. It's going to suck the life out of us. We're not going to have that Christian joy. And John Owens, another quote from his book says this. Let no man think to kill sin with few, easy or gentle strokes. He who has once smitten a serpent, if he follows not on his blow until it be slain, may repent or regret that ever he began to quarrel. And so he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not constantly to the death. 
So in other words, Owen is saying, we don't just try to put sin together just by little gentle strokes. No, we must stay at it. Just like you stay at a serpent until it's what? Dead. We stay at sin. We stay at killing sin until it's dead. And guess who gives us the power to do that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're seeking his glory. We're seeking those things above. Our life is hidden in him. So because of that, he empowers us by his grace to keep putting sin to death, to keep at it. Think about what we read this morning in our call to worship. Paul says he what? He fought the good fight. Included in that fight was what? Putting sin to death. Read Romans 7. That's what he talked about, about the struggle against sin, how the law had revealed to him how much of a sinner he was. That that I would not do, I found myself doing. He talked about the struggle of every believer with sin. And then he said toward the end of that chapter in Romans 7, Who shall deliver me? He said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he is the one who delivers us from this body of death. But that doesn't come without a fight. Paul said in Romans 7 and 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. That means he knows that he's supposed to do good, but he can't find it. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I, but sin that dwells in me. I find then that the law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another war in my members, in my body, warning against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Why did he describe himself as a wretch? Because he wants to do good, but evil is present with him. That is the internal struggle of every Christian. But... Paul never said he just gave up and just did it. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me? Who would deliver the Christian from this body of death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. <coughs> so it is Christ who delivers us. We call out to Christ. Lord, help me to put this sin to death. We don't say, oh, well, I, 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 I've gone this far. I might as well go all the way. That's some people's reasoning. I might, I, I might as well. I, I, I've done it this long. I might as well keep doing it. No. No. That's not the heart of a true Christian. That's not biblical Christianity. So what are we to put to death? Paul says here. He lists them. Fornication, which is sexual immorality, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So, fornication is sexual intercourse outside of marriage, and it's contrary to God's law. Fornication is sexual immorality. It comes from the Greek word pornean which is a general word used for immor immorality, excuse me, that was sexual in nature. Anytime that sexual intercourse outside of marriage, that's fornication, that's a sin. You know, we don't even think about it as a sin anymore. It, it doesn't even bother us. 
as it should. That, that, that shows you how the world has captured our thinking. That we're okay with it. We're okay with people having children out of wedlock outside of the context of a marriage. We're okay with that now. We, we might as well admit it. We don't, we don't shirk about it. We don't say, man, that's, that's not, I mean, you don't curse the child. But we look at that as something to celebrate. But it's the further fracturing. It's the further sinning against God. It's the, it's the further denigration of a society. Denigrate means to make worse. It's, it's, it, 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 it just breaks up the structure of a society when you have over 40% of children being born out of wedlock. Among blacks, is about 75% of children born out of wedlock. Single motherhood is like the thing now. Now, I'm talking about single by, not by choice, like a woman whose husband leaves him. I'm not talking about that. You got women just having children left and right, four and five baby daddies. You know, you got a whole baby daddy culture now. That's a thing. You got somebody like Nick Cannon being celebrated for having eight, nine children by different women. Oh, he's got the money to take care of them. That's not what it's about. Those children need a father. It's not about money. That's, that's the secular worldview. That all it takes is money to make people happy. Okay, you got eight, nine children by eight different women. As long as you got enough money to give them, they'll be fine. No, they won't be. Those children are going to grow up broken. They're going to grow up disordered. Why? Because they know because God put in them that a mother and a father is supposed to be in that home raising them. But the world celebrates that. Yeah, all these famous people, these athletes, these, these celebrities, having children out of wedlock, living together, having, quote, partners. cohabitating, shacking up as my old folks used to call it. All that is sexual immorality. All that falls under the category of fornication. But what does Paul say for us? We ought to do what? Put that to death. Put it to death. Because it is not befitting for the saints. Then he says, Uncleanness. Uncleanness is moral impurity. Any type of moral evil. That's what it refers to. Moral impurity of all kinds. It refers to the mind and to the thoughts. Immoral thinking, immoral thoughts. And it's opposed, it is opposed to heavenly mindedness and thinking. So if you're not thinking heavenly, you're thinking in unclean ways. Remember this now. We, we sin in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Our thoughts can be sinful. They can be immoral. If you secretly think in your mind, you, you, you're wishing harm on someone who did something to you, you're sinning in your thoughts. You have unclean thoughts. You have unholy thoughts. That's uncleanness. We don't think of uh, thought sins as sins, but they are. We can sin against God in our thinking, our daydreams, our imaginations. That's why we ask God, Lord, help us to get our minds right. To have right thinking because that is important also. Any thought we have to bring captive to the obedience of Christ. Passion. Passions here is lust that uses others for uh, self-gratification. That's what passions is. It is, it, is, it is lust that uses people. You have a lot of people out here who like to use folks. They like to use people. They use people to get things. They're very selfish and self-centered. They think of no one but themselves. 
They want everyone to serve them. We live in such a self-centered, self-obsessed culture that it is sickening. How self-obsessed people are. I was watching something, I uh, was getting ready for church this morning about how parents are using their children on social media for fame. Got TikTok accounts highlighting their children. And you know, the sad thing about social media is this. This is, when you really sit back and think about it, social media or the use of, I won't say social media itself because that's, that's not an actual thing, but the use of social media has led people to expose all of their private moments to the world. Think about that. Think about that. You got people that, okay, that child walks for the first time and they record it. But also, it's very cute. But they put their little baby on Facebook or TikTok and it goes viral. But think about this. When has there ever been okay to share moments like that with the whole world? Now with your family members? Yes. RJ, his first birthday party at our house in our den, he was walking. I caught it on we were at camcorders back then. This was back in what, 2002. <laughs> I had the camcorder record him take his first steps. Well, taking the steps at his birthday party. It was so adorable. It was just with our family. Why would I need people around the world to see a baby does what a baby does? Doesn't every, unless that baby has paralysis or son, doesn't every baby walk? But why do we feel the need to share that with everybody? And then you see some people's Facebook pages. And all their photos of their child. And the child is too young to give permission. What if the child grows up and says, Why'd you? Put, I don't want myself out like that. But that goes back to passions. We, we see it as innocent, but it's not. You're exposing your child to the world before they even know what the world is like. They're not even old enough to know. But you got parents that are using their children for social media fame. All their little private moments, all the little funny bloopers and all the little stuff they say and, and, and all that. They're using their own children for social media gain. That is wicked, people. We don't see it as that, but that's what it is. You're using others for your self-gratification. Even if it's your own children, you're using your own children for your gratification. Your child's not gratified because they have no idea what's going on. They're not editing your pictures and your videos and posting them to their Facebook page because they're too young to have one. That's evil. That's these passions, the lust. And lust is not just sexual. A lot of people think lust is sexual. No, lust is in, any type of inordinate or unnatural desire. It, it's not just sexual in nature. The desire to export your children is unnatural. That's against nature. God did not make us as parents to exploit our children for our gain. Like the Honey Boo Boo. No, they got a third show now. First you had the the, the Honey Boo Boo. Then you had the mom, Mama June uh, from hot to, from not to hot. You know, she had lost a lot of weight. And then now I saw a, a little advertisement for uh, a, a, another spinoff of, of that show. You know how ruined that girl is? The little girl Honey Boo Boo being exposed like that at such a young age? 
John and Kate plus eight. Remember that show that was on? Their marriage, they, they, they got divorced, and now the children are so messed up. They have bad relationships with both parents. Why? Because they exploited their children for gain, self-gratification. Kate ended up, you know, divorcing her husband and, and having uh, committed adultery with her bodyguard, and they're not even together. She's just a, a, a lonely single woman probably sleeping around with all these other men with her grown children who hate her. Why? Because of this passion, this, this lust for fame, this lust for money, it always destroys people. And for the Christian, we are to put that sin to death if we have that desire. I don't want my obituary to say I was a TikTok influencer or TikTok star. I don't want, that's not going to gain me entrance. You're not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were, you were a TikTok influencer entering into the joy of the Lord. No. So that's the passion. Next he says, put to death evil or wicked desires. This is a craving for evil things. An insatiable appetite toward doing evil. This is not the life of a Christian. If a person is always thinking evil thoughts and, and inclined to do evil, they're not believers. They are wicked longings. They wish wicked things against people. Excuse me, I heard a preacher give a good exposition on this. He said something that really, really um, made me think. He said that holding grudges against people is wicked. He said the reason why is because a person may not admit it, but the person they're holding a grudge against, they secretly want something to happen to them. They want harm to come upon them. Because why else would you be holding a grudge against them? Instead of forgiving them. Think about that. You're holding a grudge because you want something to happen. And why? Because they did something to you. They hurt you. They hurt a family member, a loved one, or they said something you didn't like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And you're still holding on to it. And when something happens to them, you say in your heart, good. That's what they get. You know how evil that is? That's akin to murder. Jesus talked about that in Matthew the fifth chapter. He said as such, if, 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 if we even wish something harm or retaliation, eye for an eye. Jesus said, do not resist the evil person. That's Matthew 5 and 39. You don't resist the evil person. He said here about murder, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Why? Because at the heart of murder is anger. So Jesus was going after the heart. Now, remember, desire versus action. Next week we're going to talk about the actions. But now we're talking about desires. The desire, the evil. He says put together evil desires. Put away rather evil desires. The, the, the anger is a desire that leads to murder. Why do people murder someone? Because they're what? Angry. They might be angry at that person. They may be angry at their life. They may be angry because they're holding grudges against being bullied in school. Like the two Columbine boys. I know one of them was Dylan Clebo. They, they went 
had the trench coat mafia. They came up to that school in 1999 and shot it up because a lot of those kids bullied them. They targeted some of those students because they were being picked on. What? That's holding grudges. That's having the anger bottled up. They had already committed murder in their hearts by having the anger, and then they did the physical act of murdering 12 of their students or 12 people at the school. Anger leads to murder. Hatred leads to murder. So we're talking about evil desires. You're holding a grudge against somebody. You're, you're festering up anger in your heart. Hebrews 13 tells us don't let a bitter root spring up in your heart. Don't let a root of bitterness, rather, spring up in your heart. <laughs> Why? That bitterness leads to evil desires. Something happens to that person, you you yell out karma, <laughs> which is unbiblical. That's what people say. That's what the world says. But no, as Christians, we don't have those kind of desires. We we don't have a craving for evil things. We don't have an insatiable appetite towards evil or towards wicked longings, people longing for wickedness to happen to someone. We leave that to the Lord. But we must repent lest something happens to us. Because we're not more righteous than God. We're no less deserving than someone else of something evil happening to them because we're all sinners. Amen. And then he says, put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. What is covetousness? Covetousness is the last commandment of the ten, the table of commandments, the decalogue. It says you should not covet. There are several reasons why. Why is covetousness idolatry? What, what, what does it mean to covet? covet? Covetousness is secretly wanting to have more. That's what it means to have more. That's what covetousness is, to have more. Nothing wrong with having more, but it is a desire to just have more, to never be satisfied. That's why it says you should not covet. You're already married. Adultery is idolatry. It's covetousness. Why? Because you want more than your wife. I always talk, I always use the illustration about children inside of a store sitting in the basket and you go down that section where everything is red, yellow, and blue. The kid section in other words. And you see all these flashing lights and all these sounds and all these toys. What do those children do? They just turn they just get activated. And they start saying, Mommy, Daddy, I want this. I want that. Can I have this? Can I have that? And if you don't give it to them, they start screaming to the top of their lungs. And, you, and the whole stalking him. And you try to shush them, and they get louder. They start having a fit. And you say, Okay, here, take it. They play with it in the basket while you're going to the checkout. You're all mad and, 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 and whatnot because they made this ruckus. Well, some parents are smart enough to drag them out the store and take them to the car and, and, and put some hands on them and say, either you straighten up or we're going home. But most parents, they give in to it. They say, okay, take it. Here. They get it. Check it out. Take it home. They play with it for five minutes or maybe a day and then it goes into the chest with all the other toys that they got that way. That's covetousness. You, you, you want more. Even from birth, children are covetousness, are, are covetous. It's idolatry. You want more. You, you desire more. It is idolatry. It's having a greedy heart. Greed is idolatry. And children are greedy. What do we call them? Vipers in a diaper. They go from greedy children to greedy adolescents to greedy adults. The desire to always want more, to build bigger houses. 
to build bigger houses, to have more expensive cars. That's that sinful desire. That is idolatry. And what did Jesus say? What profit is it to a man who gains the whole world but loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Covetousness is idolatry, people. And idolatry will get you nothing but sorrow. It will get you nothing but sorrow. But the world tells us, no, you need to have more. You need to have more. Walking Sam's, you know, I go to Sam's every week. They got 86 inch TVs now. Those TVs so big, you can't get the box on the back of a truck. You got to have a trailer to carry them to your house. <laughs> That's how big they are. I, I, was, I was at Sam's a couple months ago and, 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 and watched the man and his wife trying to get, get the, uh, the TV um, in the box in his truck. He had to let the he had to let the, uh, the tailgate down. He had to tie it down. That's how big those TVs are now. You walk in there, first thing you see me walking sands to the, to the right is those giant TVs. 85 inches, 86 inch TVs. Because covetousness is idolatry. And, and you know, yes, people have the right to buy as big of a TV as they want to. Yes, they do, but that still don't mean that they're not greedy. That's it doesn't mean that they're not idolaters. We as Christians are to what? Put this away. Why? Because we're seeking those things above. We don't need 85 inch TV. But greed is idolatry. Covetousness is. That passage in Matthew 16, Jesus talked about this parable. He says here, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, saying to himself, he was an idol to himself. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Take it easy, man. You're living the good life. You got the boat. You got the big house. You've got the pool. You got the $70,000, $90,000 GMC Denali pickup truck. You got the fifth wheel camper. You got the house on the lake or the river. Take it easy, man. Enjoy life. That is the world's message. But look what the scripture says. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the world. Eat, drink, be merry, party, live it up. Live life to the fullest. Live your best life now. But God said to him, Fool! Covetousness is foolishness. Idolatry is foolishness. Always wanting more when you have enough is foolishness. So what did God say to this man? Fool! This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. No, you're saying you got all this stuff. Who's going to get it? You're not. Your soul is going to be required of you. Covetousness is a desire. Covetousness starts in the heart. You, you see these things and you secretly desire them. You can secretly covet someone else's life, someone else's marriage, 
someone else's child. Oh, I wish my child was as well behaved as so-and-so's children. That's covetousness. That's idolatry. You're, you're worshiping them. Another image bearer of God who's a sinner just like you and whose children are sinners just like you and whose children need a savior just like yours does. Oh, I wish I lived in this neighborhood with these $500,000 houses. Driving a car that costs $1,000, $1,200 a month. Mercedes, Benz, Audis, cars that are so, I've seen some cars that are so beautiful on the inside. I've seen some houses that are so big, I've been in some before. If I secretly desire someone else's life, that's covetousness. I'm an idolater. I'm worshiping man. I'm worshiping things. And I'm not setting my mind on things above where Christ is. I'm setting my mind on things on earth that, guess what, are going to perish one day. It's going to perish one day. And it's going to be brought to nothing. So, as Christians... If we have that kind of heart to have more, we are to put that to death. If we ever have it or desire what other people have. And I always say it, don't go by what you see on Facebook. Everybody's life is not that wonderful. Think about our own lives. We're not always on 10. Covetousness is self-destructive because it gives us wrong conceptions. People die a thousand deaths through comparison. They die a thousand deaths through comparing themselves, uh, which is which is covetousness. And so, why should we not do these things? Verse six. Because these things, these desires, fornication, uncleanness passion, evil desire, covetousness, they incur God's wrath. What does verse 6 say? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. These sins invite the wrath of God. Because the world loves this kind of sinful lifestyle, they don't come into humility to Jesus. As the world continues in these things, guess what it does? It adds to their condemnation. It adds to it. These sins are against God's moral law as we see in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And those who do these things, fornication, uncleanness, evil, desire, passion, and covetousness, those who do those things are called the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? They are unrepentant sinners. And these unrepentant sinners will feel the wrath of God. Matthew 10 28, Jesus says this, and do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Unrepentant sinners will feel the just wrath of God, those who are the sons of disobedience. We must understand it as believers. The believer does not walk in these sins or practice them anymore. That's what Titus 3 said, Titus 3, 3 and 4. He says, Titus says, for we ourselves were also once, once, at one time before Christ, foolish, disobedient, deceived, Serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We were once that way. As I said, believers don't live in unrepentant, habitual sin. We were once that way. We were once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once deceived. We were once serving various sinful desires and pleasures. We were living in malice and envy. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared toward man. 
So when Christ saved us, we were no longer living that way. He renewed us by the Holy Spirit. He poured it out upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ. So this is what happens. But those who are sons of disobedience are not walking in the ways of Christ. They're walking in those sins. Now, the point of God's wrath is for us as believers is intended as a motivator for continued faithfulness. It is a motivator of continued faithfulness. If the Colossians fail to put to death these evil desires, then guess what? They could expect God's judgment with certainty. They could expect it. They could expect that God's judgment was going to come upon them if they did not put these sins to death. So what are we to think of all this as we come to a close is we have to think this. We as Christians have to know who we are in Christ. I have to remind myself of that and I really do have to consciously remind myself that I'm in Christ and that I must seek those things where Christ is. Even when I go into work, be Christ-like in my work. Being Christ-like in my job, my line of work, being in, in insurance sales is to do everything ethically, to do what's right for the customer, to not do anything just to get a sale, but to do right by my customers who are putting their trust in me to sell them the type of coverages that they need for their auto insurance, for their homeowner's insurance, for their life insurance, for their supplemental health policies. I, I'm, I'm supposed to have the integrity to do things ethically for them and not to benefit me because I'm thinking about Christ. And also in our sins that we have to deal with, and live within our flesh. Remember sin is in us. But it's not on us. We're clothed with Christ's righteousness. But sin remains in us. Because we have a fallen nature. But. We have to. If we have besetting sins. Think about your own besetting sins. And if you don't think uh, you have any. I would say that pride is a besetting sin. Those besetting sins that you have. Let us seek the Lord to put them to death. If there's some type of evil desires against people. I don't think anyone here is dealing with fornication. Well, you know, sexual morality, which is which is good. But we're, we're having sinful thoughts about people, about things. If we have some evil desires about certain things. If we have a heart of covetousness, you know, secretly wanting more or desiring more than what we already have or need. If we're... Uh, dealing with impure and unclean thoughts at times we seek God because we're in Christ our life is hidden with Christ and guess what we can seek those things and say Lord please help me to put these sins to death amen so we'll land right there and deal with our last two principles uh, next two weeks let us pray Father, we thank you for Christ's work. We thank you that you have commanded us to seek those things which are above, to set our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. We thank you, Lord, that our life is hidden with Christ in God. We thank you, Lord, that you are our life and that we will appear with you in glory. Lord, because of these realities, we ask you, Lord, to help us to put to death sinful desires that we have as believers to pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways Lord as we always know true Christians do not live in habitual sin we fight against sin every day in our bodies but we're encouraged by the testimony of the apostle Paul who said that he's ready to be poured out that he has fought the fight he's kept the faith 
he's finished his course. And Lord, because of this, there's laid up for him a crown of righteousness. Not only for him, Lord, but for those of us who love Christ appearing. Lord, thank you for such a glorious truth. Help us to hold these truths that we hear, Lord. Not just hear them in church and give a, a nod to them, but Lord, to actually hold to them. Take them in our hearts. Take them in our bosom. And live these truths out, Lord, this week. Whatever sins, Lord, we're struggling with, give us the power to put them to death. And Lord, convict sinners. They are already in their sins. They would never win that struggle against sin by trying to do right, Lord, because they are living in rebellion against you. Lord, convict sinners who hear this message and lead them to a saving faith in you so that they may experience the freedom that we all have in Christ. It is in his name that I pray. Amen.